You're listening to the Contract Heroes Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things contract management. And now here are your hosts, Mark and Pepe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Contract Heroes, where we're not the heroes. Our guests are uh, today from Legal Tech Live. We've got Nick Rich Wayne joining us. Hey, before I th- flip things over to Pepe, Nick, uh, to give us a little bit of a background on what we're going to be chatting about today, I would love if you could just give the listeners a, a quick overview of uh, what Legal Tech Live is. And uh, from there, we'll get things kicked off. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, appreciate it. Always, always enjoy uh, meeting other podcasters in our very select, uh, uh, very niche space of legal technology. But yeah, uh, Legal Tech Live uh, was a podcast and video uh, live streaming show that I started with a buddy back in about 2015, uh, and uh, started off just kind of interviewing. Uh, others who were in legal technology after about 30 episodes, I think we focused more in on legal tech startups. Uh, that buddy had uh, taken off. We, we had basically gotten involved in it because we were both involved in social media pretty heavily. Uh, and live streaming had sort of taken off at the time or had become much more active and, and uh, neither of us uh, wanted to write a blog, uh, but we were both interested in legal technology. And, uh, and so the best way to, I found, uh, best way to do uh, learn more about, I was in legal technology uh, at experts.com, had been there for five or six years at the time. Uh, And I decided I, you know, there were some exciting things happening in the space, uh, early stages with AI and blockchain and so forth. Uh, And I wanted to know more about what was going on there. And I wanted to see what people were building and and, uh, talk to people. I enjoyed talking to people. And uh, that's pretty much how it got started. And so we've done about 130 episodes or or something now on uh, where we've talked uh, predominantly with legal tech founders, and uh, and the space has been growing in that time. And we're on hiatus right now. Every once in a while, I get bored and take a break, uh, and uh, that's that's kind of the benefit of it uh, being being a hobby uh, is that uh, I can take the time off when I want to. That's great, Nick. And I think that was one of the main things that we wanted to talk with you in these episodes. You know, like. We, we actually focus a lot on CLMs right now because we consider it's like one of the hottest uh, legal tech tools, but we want to do this a, a little bit different. We already did it with Alex Sue in, in a couple of our other episodes, and it's how have you built your own community? Because this is impressive. You've been here for seven years, and maybe this doesn't sound that much, but I would say that for legal tech, that's a lot, right? Because that was just like recently everybody was involved in legal tech. Now, uh, I would say since three or two years ago, if you go to LinkedIn, now you can see a lot of profiles that says legal tech expert. Right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and it's been a lot of things. And we totally agree with you that the best way to learn about this kind of market or industry is talk with other people and podcasting or blogging. I think it's like the best ways on, on, on how you can learn from the experience and the path that a lot of people have taken to do their legal career or to just uh, quit 
working on the big law or as an in-house, you know, or, uh, and I think you, you have done it great. And I would say that Nick Richmond is like some of these guys that everybody knows inside the legal tech. So congratulations on that, Nick. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And was there, was there a question there, Pepe? I'm not sure if I, <laughs> if I caught the, what the question was, it was very, very flattering. I appreciate that. But yeah, please, uh, was there a specific question on that? There was no specific question there was. There was something that I wanted to uh, just just like a little in, introduction on that. But before we start talking about on 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 how you started with the legal tech and how it was back in the days and now how you've seen it right now, uh, can you tell us a, a little bit on your role or on experts.com so people can know a, a sure. little bit about the company? Yeah, so experts.com is a uh, marketing platform for expert witnesses and, and business consultants. So it's so if you if legal tech is niche, uh, experts.com is also niche, more of a, a litigation support aspect uh, of uh, of the uh, of the legal industry. Probably a web 1.0. Uh, it's initially a web 1.0 company, still a web two company, uh, and uh, so we are. Uh, it used to be what you would call a directory. We think we offer more than what a directory is uh, today. And it's uh, primarily for experts to market themselves uh, to attorneys who are looking at attorneys, businesses, industry. Um, it, it's really more broadly uh more broad than than just uh, litigation experts, but that is the primary uh, bread and butter of the company is uh, marketing the expert witnesses. Uh, and attorneys can come to the site, search the site, and contact the experts directly. We we will do a, a flat fee search if they need us to if if they don't want to do it themselves. And uh, been doing that for about twelve years. So I was in that uh, in that in the industry, legal technology industry, which we were. Right. Uh, you know, a, a sliver of, and, and, and about 2015, I saw that, uh, you know, I was, I had been spending time in the industry. Uh, I'm, I'm in the central Valley of California, which was a little more isolated. It wasn't in San Francisco. I'm about okay. 90, about 90 minutes from San Francisco, where I saw a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff was um, taking place. And so that that's, uh, I thought, all right, well, how do I get to know other people who are in this industry with me? Uh, and uh, the podcast uh, started as a hobby and and that's really what it, uh, what it has remained uh, as a way to kind of network. And one of the best ways to network and get to know people is by uh, promoting what they're working in, you know, what they're or promoting what they're doing. And so that's, that's sort of what I did. Yeah. And Nick, I think, you know, our, our experience has been uh, very similar, right? You know, Pepe and I were, were well, at least Pepe, myself, Pepe's, you know, a lawyer and, and definitely played in this space a lot more than I did. But, you know, moving from from um, selling IT software and, and help desk and service desk solutions and coming mm-hmm. into to contract management, you know, we were kind of scratching our heads and we, we really didn't know what, uh, what we were doing and, and figured a great way to learn and network would be to, to have people on and chat about what they're up to and what they're doing. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, we're coming at this from a similar angle and it's definitely remained a hobby for us as well. Uh, but I, I think the relationships that we've been able to build through the podcast have been invaluable, like you said. And, you know, with that said, I, I think we also do focus on on similar types of guests that come on the show, you know, maybe more so when it comes to the the types of folks that you're specifically interviewing, which are more of the startups, right? The technology mm-hmm. providers. With those folks that are coming on on the show, how, how have you seen the space 
evolve and the technology evolve uh, since you you started interviewing these these uh, organizations and and their leaders? Uh, so I think uh, seeing the space evolve, you know, in 2015, I guess when I started, it was uh, you know I've primarily focused on uh, SaaS products rather than. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of service oriented uh, companies in the legal space, uh, but generally a service service company is is not as scalable as SaaS. And I, I wanted to see uh, greatest impact, uh, and usually the greatest way to do to have an impact was was scalability. Probably, you know, when I, even when I started, it was probably predominantly. Certainly in the 2010s, it, you know, legal technology felt like it was primarily e-discovery and maybe law practice management or, or case management, uh, CRM kind of uh, tools. They were certainly the, the most notable. And it's, it's broadened significantly since then. Uh, certainly some legal research tools were, were getting some AI-based legal research tools were getting some, uh, some attention back in 2015, 2016. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's broadened and narrowed, right? Uh, Almost it's, there's, there's a wider variety that now include probably areas of, uh, fintech and reg tech compliance related uh that that i probably consider uh, now and now justice tech or or those access to justice types of startups um who are who are some of them are trying to have more of a direct to consumer uh approach whereas you know when i when i started it was probably they were predominantly serving in-house and in big law and and there's still huge value in in creating tools that sell to those right your enterprise your enterprise level uh, tools uh, clm certainly best i can remember uh, was not was not a phrase that was used in in uh, 2015. I think it was a couple more years before that really became uh, more a uh, more utilized phrase or or even now more saturated type of phrase. Uh, but yeah, so it was e-discovery. Uh, was sites like experts.com. You know, it was fairly fairly distributed in in. in you know, Bob Ambrosi would probably have a different take on this because he's been doing uh, legal technology for about 30 years. But, you know, uh, you're talking legal research and in, in IT solutions for offices uh, seem to be the the big ones. And there wasn't a, a very vibrant startup economy when I, or startup uh, space when I started. And that seems to have changed pretty significantly. Now there are a lot more tools coming up, whether it is the, you know, managing text communications between the lawyer and client. Um, Their court reporting is seeing some innovations. Um, Legal intelligence is seeing some some pretty significant uh, innovations. Uh, There's just there. So more things probably fall under the under the concept of legal technology and then than they did 
in 2015 when I started, probably more things fall under legal technology or it's touching uh, legal aspects of the work. Uh, it, but but what companies are focusing on seems to have become more narrow in, in scope. So uh, I don't know if that's a good answer for you, but that's, I guess, what I've seen. Right. And that's something that we've been also discussing uh, with other of our guests like Jason Smith and also with Eric Laughlin, the CEO of Agilove, that uh, back in the day, this kind of software were trying to be classified as legal tech, right? So tools that can be used by a lawyer. But right now, what they've seen and what the market have, how we have changed is like these tools are not just for legal, they're like uh, enterprise softwares. Right. right, because such as CLMs, they're not tools just owned by the legal team. They're tools that procurement needs or sales team needs, compliance right. needs, because they need some business process automations that serve to the whole company. Uh, so, Nick, so in these seven years that you've been doing these uh, uh, interviews, is there any 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 story that you can remember of of any kind of uh, startup that was just starting back then, and and now they are they they've been keep growing. Yeah, uh, who did who did I interview that has kept growing pretty significantly in the last I don't know three years? Trellis uh, Trellis oh, yeah. Law is uh, or Trellis Dot Law is their uh, Trellis Legal Intelligence is the name of the company, but websites Trellis Dot Law. Uh, they they've grown pretty significantly in the last three years. They've had I think uh, I think they're on to a Series B now. Um, certainly in the seven years that I've been doing it, uh, Clio has grown from from uh, I don't know where they were at when when I had when I had known about them, but now they're, I think, beyond a Series D, they've grown significantly. Certainly, Ironclad was a more recent interview I did with Jason Bomig, and, and they've just grown uh, grown like wildfire. Uh, right. They're both new unicorns right now. Yeah, yeah. They're they're the unicorns, and, and that's awesome to see in legal technology because it used to be pretty rare, right? Like we had Thomson Reuters and LexisNexis seem to be the two publicly traded. Uh, I haven't done, I haven't done an interview with legal zoom, but they're now publicly traded. So there's been right. some, uh, been some pretty, uh, pretty major change, pretty, pretty major advancements. Hopefully what we'll see is those companies now, the, those that are in the later stages, because I generally focus, uh, focused on, uh, early stage, uh, seed, pre-seed, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, Series A, uh, those are have been primarily the ones that I focused on because I wanted to talk to people. I, I wanted to talk to the founders before they became a big deal. Uh, was kind of my that was kind of my goal. Um, so there have been several who have blown up, and, and uh, we see that in the news stories on legal tech uh, all the time now. Uh, so. Which I'm hoping, uh, I think I, we may have discussed this, Pepe, that uh, I'm kind of hoping it'd be really great if uh, those who are now going public are also really successful when they're public, because hopefully that will allow uh, more investment to to come to the space. Certainly one of the harder parts, one of the reasons that investment stays, seems to stay out of legal is if you're trying to go direct to consumer or, or somehow serve... Uh, 
those who are looking for justice, uh, accessing justice or accessing legal services, uh, regulations have made it harder. So uh, harder to accomplish that because of the unauthorized practice of law and attorney fee sharing and so forth. So Mm -hmm. so those those are more difficult. Hopefully regulations will one day change uh, on that and allow for uh, for some greater direct to consumer or or B2C type of uh, type of. we, we've seen some successes, uh, right. like divorce and so forth, that have had uh, some some success, but it's a slower road if you're if you're not selling to the enterprise. Right, and I would say that one of the good things about working with technology is that you're not limited by any country regulation, right? I mean, of course, the big ones have focused a lot on the U.S. because it's it's the biggest market. Huge market. The, the world, of course, most of those companies, they they just don't care about going elsewhere. <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of business there. But the good thing is that if they expand to other countries where the regulations are not as strict, right, that you need to pass a bar on every state to practice there, right? right. And you can just go to, to another country even if it's uh, Europe, Latin America, Asia, right? So that's one of the of the good things about working with technology, right? So, uh, and, and Nick, one other thing that I was thinking about. So when you start building this community, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say seven years ago, how did you start uh, like looking for people to interview? Did you just like text them, look for companies? Was there any directory or somewhere or or how did you learn about these new companies? So, I mean, I'm reading, I was reading about legal technology, right? So I was uh, looking to see what ABA and, and legal rebels and fast case 50 and those types of things were were reporting and what people were doing and i you know i even think i was using google alerts fairly uh regularly back then although it feels inefficient to even look in that folder anymore but it was uh i would i would find somebody and i'd go over and check out their linkedin or their twitter profile and connect with them uh, and then say, hey, you know, I'd like to interview you about what you're building. And that that was primarily how I did it for uh, still how I do it, although a lot more people will come to me now, as I'm sure you guys experience now that you're I don't know how many episodes you're in. But, you know, everybody who's looking for any, you know, any press that they can get that might might help them while they're building something, uh, they they tend to start reaching out after a while. Uh, and, and that's how I did it. And then I kept promoting people like, uh, you know, if, if I have a superpower, which I'm not <laughs> sure if I have a superpower, I'm I, it's probably I'm pretty good at making friends. Uh, and, uh, and I like helping others to succeed. So uh, that that has been how I did it. Hey, would you like to come on the show? And then you know, continuously promoting what they're working on as best I can, especially if they if they kept in touch. You know, some people don't keep in touch after the interview. That's fine. They move on. Maybe the company is successful. Others who have stayed in touch and 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 communicated and helped share the share the show. Like you, you build a relationship with those people, and uh, and so I think that's probably the best way that I found people. Uh, I 
go on Twitter, follow legal tech hashtag, uh, see if it was interesting. Uh, and I was always looking for something more unique in there. Uh, and this will come back to, to your, your CLM topic, but I'm generally looking for something that's a little more unique that I hadn't seen a, a, a thousand times um, or that wasn't a very saturated area. I wanted somebody who had a, a really interesting idea um, that, that, it's probably most of these ideas are already existing. Mark, you probably have experienced this if you were in IT. Most of these services existed outside of the legal space, but we had to add legal to it uh, in order to sell it to attorneys, uh, even though the tech is probably you know efficient, sufficient somewhere else. So I saw some that uh, that were like Asanas and Trello boards and, and things like that that uh, you know, they did it for attorney workflow. So it was very similar, but we we had to start it for attorney specifically uh, or or legal services specifically. So, but yeah, uh, it was a long way of saying, Pepe, that uh, that it was mostly by reading and and uh, and checking out uh, Twitter and seeing what people were were building and sharing about. That's a good strategy. And you were also last week on the Future Law Conference, right? Mm -hmm. On Stanford. Yep. Uh, well, Mark was, well, not, it's not, well, I would say oh, it's also another big legal tech conference, which is the Legal Week at New York. But what do you think about uh, going and getting involved in this conference, like to uh, to know more about technology? Yeah. I think it's great. Uh, I think attending, uh, you you cannot, uh, the, you cannot replace meeting people in person. You just can't replace that, I don't think, uh, for actual connections. The closest thing I've found to that was what we're doing right now, which is why I started off with live video, uh, streaming video uh, interviews where it was much more authentic because you're seeing each other digital eyeball to digital digital eyeball. Uh, it's the closest thing I'd found to in-person meetings. But yeah, I try to make it work permitting. I try to make it to a couple of conferences a year because you just really cannot beat those meeting people in person. Going to the sessions, oftentimes are totally useless. Uh, I found uh, those are uh, very little value. I did not at, at future law. I actually enjoyed the sessions at future law, but again, that's a little bit more um, theoretical in nature or, or maybe more cutting edge than, than other trade association uh, conferences. Uh, so most sessions, uh, the only ones I end up, uh, going to, or if I've got a friend who's who's uh, who's presenting at the session, but almost all the real activity either happens uh, where the vendors are at or in the hallways, and you can't beat being around uh, being around people. Then eventually, you've got friends in the space, and you just want to go. You want to go to a conference and see your friend. That's great. And any other conference that you recommend or that that you've been involved? Yeah, so I've still never been to ABA Tech Show. Uh, yeah, one in uh, Chicago, right? What's that? I, I I think it's in Chicago, right? It's in Chicago. I've still yeah. never been to that one because for work purposes, it's not really, uh, it's not really uh, doesn't doesn't target who our uh, who our customers are. Um, but uh, I do really. I, I always followed the list of the. Uh, 
always follow their list for their startup alley uh, because I always wanted to, if I saw something good on there that I wanted to interview that that's, you know, I would then reach out to the founders of those companies and, and see if they could be interviewed uh, or if they'd be willing to be interviewed. Uh, so ABA tech show, I think is probably a great, uh, probably a great conference to attend. Hopefully I'll attend it one year, maybe next year. Uh, Clio's always been good. Uh, I enjoy that conference. Uh, it's certainly, it is more targeted to, uh, our customers or one, right. one part of our customers, uh, which is, uh, the lawyers are there. So th- that is more helpful for us. Great. So, Nick, before we close with this great episode and after 12 years working at expert.com and, and, and working with legal tech, have you do you have any tip on how to sell to a lawyer? Like what are your best tips on this? Yeah. Uh, so the best tips on this uh, are if you can avoid it find somebody other than a lawyer to sell to. So that would be the number one tip. Um, there's really, I mean, we can go in a lot more depth here. It's up to you guys. How long, I don't know how long you normally do this. Uh, if you can find somebody else to sell to in the, in the firm or in the company, uh, sell to them rather than to the lawyer. Uh, that would be the primary idea. The probably second idea on that is don't don't try and get them on the phone. I would try and uh, I would try and butter them up with, uh, you know, maybe have them on your email drip campaign right? and, and keep top of mind as best you can, because chances are when they gonna, when they're going to make a decision, uh, they're going to do that in their time. And if uh, if they're not in a buying mode at the time then you're you're wasting their time and you're just going to make them angry especially if you're selling to practitioners um in-house uh, i anticipate is a little different which is probably where you guys are selling uh, the probably the, the next thing that i would do it, it, what i what i've seen be the most successful sadly uh i think uh in legal technology is that if you build right into the microsoft ecosystem that helps you along you know so if it's an add-in for for word and outlook that's going to make your life selling to legal communities much easier uh this the point solutions or the standalone solutions are even harder if if you can build it into their existing workflow that will help you uh sell to uh lawyers but but certainly be better to find a, a better influencer in the uh or a better stakeholder within a firm, uh, even at the paralegal or legal assistant level, who's more likely to be the ones who are using the technology, uh, that that would be my recommendation. Yeah, and Nick, I think that that's definitely something you know that that we've seen um, is even though that the lawyers are are definitely power users of of the tool, uh, you know, you need to get other departments involved um, for the most part. I, and I think this is changing, but I, you know, for the most part, in the past, um, the the law department has always been looked at as a cost center. Um, and, and they, you know, they really don't are used to not have too, too much budget to, to work with, to, to go out there and try to find tools to use. Um, so, you know, we're always trying to get sales involved and procurement involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that goes a long way to in, in showing that a lot of these tools that we call legal tech really aren't just legal tech software. Uh, you know, they're, they're 
more enterprise wide. And, and if you want to succeed with these types of applications, you do need to incorporate other departments into these journeys that you're taking, because that's truly how we see organizations be successful it is by becoming one enterprise and not looking at it as a segmented by departments. Right. And I think that's fair. I mean, uh, if the, the, if it is an enterprise level solution now, of course, there's some solutions that are primarily like litigator solution, right. Or the transactional yeah. attorney solution that that's different. That's, that's pretty much strict legal tech right there. Um, but certainly if you're building a solution, that's going to be on everybody's computer, this is again, why I say outlook and, and, and Microsoft word where, uh, legal assistants and others are doing it. If you're building into that workflow, it's more, more likelihood they're going to actually you, the end users actually going to use your product because it's already where, where they want to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you can make it an enterprise wide solution, you know, cybersecurity has, is great for this, right? Because everybody has to use that. So they've they've got that kind of entry level and, and they're usually working with the CTO or somebody like somebody to that effect. So, uh, but if it's going to be installed on every computer, uh, you know, that that is definitely better. Uh, a lot of legal technology can be very segmented. Uh, and if you can avoid that, if you can make it, look, this is an editing specific tool for the legal community, and build that right into their existing uh, workflow, you know, you stand a much better chance than, than somebody else, than another, uh, another startup in the space. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely agree with that. Uh, well, Nick, this is, Hey, this has been a great conversation. It's always a pleasure to meet uh, somebody else that's doing this, been doing this a, a bit longer than we have and, and be able to learn from them. And hopefully our audience has some takeaways here. Uh, if folks want to check out, you know, the show, uh, where's the, the best place to, to do that at? Oh yeah. Uh, Apple podcasts, uh, Spotify podcasts, legaltechlive.com. Uh, uh, they can check it on, on any of those, uh, whichever one you, whichever one you prefer. If you like watching the videos are on the website. If you want the unedited, uh, unscripted, that's the full interviews are there. So you can check it on YouTube as well. Uh, but yeah, legal tech live or on Twitter at legal tech live. Great. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll make sure folks that those are in the show notes as well. So you can check those out. Well, Nick, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks everybody for listening to another episode of Contract Heroes, and we hope to have you back here real soon. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thanks, guys.